It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. So let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Thank you. She repented. Yeah. No. She said she didn't. Hallelujah. That was good worship, wasn't it? Praise God. What I want to talk to you tonight about is um, very important. Not because of me, but because of the future of the church. And uh, all that we're doing, all you're called to do. <clears throat> and, and again, this is not about me, okay? But what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is the heart of my calling. And it's really uh, the grandest purpose. I love to preach on marriage, and we do that a lot. But tonight I want to talk to you about kids and about the next generation. And uh, our title is Training Children That Trump the World. Training Children That Trump the World. And, uh, you know, Trump, uh, Donald Trump is our president, right? And that's about as political as I'm going to get in this message tonight. And uh, <clears throat> we do need to pray for our president. And, and, and let, me just, let me just land on that one for just a minute. Uh, we got him in office, okay? And I really believe we're in a period of grace here, and I believe that, that the plan of God is, was for us to have this period because we're going to need this for what's ahead. Uh, but our job is not over, and we need to pray for our president. No matter who's president, you understand? We need to pray for those that are in authority. So very critical because none of them are perfect. And, uh, but, but the way they're able to fulfill what I believe is a calling on, on this man's life is determined by what we as a church do. We need to pray for this man every day because he's facing some, and any president, president does, facing some uh, tremendous obstacles. And uh, I, I do believe God's going to work through him in Jesus' name. No matter what our political views are, I believe God's going to work through this man to do something great in our time. I believe we're in a great period of grace. And I believe we're gonna, the church is going to shine. This is going to be our brightest hour. Do you believe that? <clears throat> but uh, we have to do our part. And so I, this is a big part, what I want to talk to you about tonight. Training children that trump the world. Trump is the president, but he's also, the word trump is a playing card term. Did you know that? And uh, <clears throat> to trump means that you have a playing card of a suit that for that time outranks the other suits. For instance, you got a really good hand. You've got three queens. And you're thinking, i got a really good shot at winning this hand. And if you're a poker player, you know what I'm talking about. And you need to repent. Don't do that anymore. But the poker, <laughs> three queens is a good hand. But, you know, three aces will trump that hand. And so it looks like, it may look like <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of great amens, yes. Uh, it may look like that hand's going to win, but uh, you can't trump that. And that kind of reminds me of the gospel. When you think about it, that's what Jesus did. He trumped what the devil, the plan of the devil for humankind, Jesus trumped that. When he went to the cross, came to the earth, first of all, lived out his life, died on the cross for us, came back from the dead, and now when we apply what he did to us, we are trumping what the devil wanted to do in your life. You understand the devil is serious about taking you to hell, and if you can't do that, He's very serious about you living a miserable, faithless, loveless life. And just because you're in the church doesn't mean you're going to have a victorious life. Have you figured that out? 
There's something you're going to have to do. But I want you to turn in the Bible. We're talking about Trump. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. And let's look at this in the Bible. Because it is like God played the ultimate trump card of all time with Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, I'm going to read out of the New King James, says this, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. Let me stop right there. I'm going to come back to this in in a little while. So remember the, the term hidden wisdom. In fact, say that with me. Say hidden wisdom. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age, including the devil, I I put that in, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You ever had an aha moment in your life? I mean, like a huge surprise that you didn't, you know, and just everything changed with that moment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can you imagine, this is the most aha moment in history, when the devil not only see does he think he has humanity because of, of Adam and Eve's sin, and this is passed on to all of us, and now we're all burdened with this separation from God, and there's no way we can humanly get back, and, and God dealt with the Jews, but probably most of us in here are Gentiles, which means you're not a Jew, which means we were outside the covenant of God. And the Bible talks about it. we had no hope. And so it looks like the, the enemy's won, and then can you imagine Whenever Jesus died on the cross, the devil thinks, oh my, not only do I have all these people, but now I have the Son of God. And you know they had a party, and, and hell was rejoicing, and, and they were all saying, yay, we got the Son of God. But then on the third day, on the third day, hallelujah, Jesus came back from the dead. And can you imagine the moment when all that happened and the devil had a revelation of what he just done? He went, oh no, what have I done? Aha moment for the devil. And it was awful for him. But see, Jesus did that for us. And see, whenever we play the Jesus card, we trump what the devil wants to do in our life. When we play the Jesus card, we trump the devil's plan to take us to hell. We deserved hell. We did. All of us did. We all sinned, came short of the glory of God. But we played the Jesus card. I did that. And my life changed and turned around. Hallelujah. And now I'm on the road with God, and I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You can trump poverty that tries to come against your life. Because Jesus not only paid the price for you to go to heaven, but Jesus paid the price. You don't have to be poor anymore, darling. If you'll get in his plan and his program and obey him and follow what he tells you to do, you can trump poverty in your life. You can trump wounds and, and, and curses and previous hurts that came into your life even from generations. You know, things can be passed down from generation to generation. I know something about that. My dad had a problem with alcohol when I was growing up. And I watched my dad, and I hated what it did to him. And as a little boy, my dad in many ways was a good man, even though he, he had a problem with alcohol. And he worked hard. He provided for the family. But there would be this darkness come on my dad when he drank. And as a little boy, I knew when dad came home at night, I would look at him. And kids know things. And I could tell by his eyes. I could look in his eyes, and I knew if he had been drinking or not. And if he hadn't been, I rejoiced. And I thought, all right, dad didn't drink today. But if I saw in his eyes that he had been, my heart would drop because he wasn't the same man. Because alcohol affects people. And I hated what it did to him. And I used to say to myself growing up, I said, I would never do that. I will never do that to my kids and do that to my family. And I didn't for a long time. 
But when I was 17 years old, I took my first drink. And then a little later, I took another one. And then another one. And by the time I am 20 years old, and we, Trudy and I married very young. I was 19 and she was 17. By the time I'm 20, I'm drinking pretty much on a daily basis. And I did what I hated. Why? There was a, I believe there's curses that are passed down. But you know what? I got saved and then I played the Jesus card. Now, it didn't happen overnight. How many love miracles? How many love just to pray and something happened? And, and, but how many know that everything in life is not a miracle? There's some things you have to battle by faith. And I had a fight with this thing for over a year after I got saved. But I want you to know today I can go into a convenience store and I can look at a case of beer and it doesn't bother me anymore. I've been set free. Hallelujah. I played the Jesus card. And the, playing the Jesus card, you can be uh, delivered from those things. You can uh, trump uh, uh, your, your marriage can be healthy. You can trump divorce in your life. Do you know 50% of marriages in America fail today? Do you know 50% of marriages in the church about the same numbers, fail today. But that doesn't have to happen to you. The will of God is for you to stay together with your spouse. You can trump divorce in your life. You can trump sickness and disease in your body. Hallelujah. And we can also trump what the devil wants to do with our kids, the next generation. This is so very, very important. Now, I'm not saying that we'll, we will raise perfect children. You won't do that. Because your kids, see... They are subject to this curse that comes on the world. And your kids, and, and I'm going to talk about how that I believe in getting kids saved when they're young. I believe kids can know Jesus when they're little. Now, on, the, on a child's level, okay, I, I believe kids can be filled with the Holy Spirit when they're small. I've seen God work in the lives of children. But I believe every person, as we grow up, we're going to have to have a moment where we make a mature decision, no matter what's been put in us, if we're going to serve God or not. But here's the kicker. When, when we as parents and as the church, this is, we're all responsible for this. When we put Jesus in the next generation, then there's something that's in them that when they do grow up and the enemy comes against them and their flesh rises up, there's like a hook that God puts in them. That because that we, we put a foundation of the Word of God in them. Proverbs 22, 6 says it this way. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I don't believe that that, that necessarily means that God will make them serve him all the days of their life. Your children have a decision they will have to make just like you do every day. But the thing is, we put a foundation in them as parents, as grandparents, as the church, that, that will pull on them all the days of their life. And I believe with all my heart there will come a day that they're going to be saved and come back to Jesus, even if they get away from him. But uh, remember, Paul talked about it, and I said this. This, this is hidden wisdom. And, and you know, the, the blessings of God are hidden. And they're not hidden from you, but they're hidden for you. But some of the most important things about God I've learned as I've been around for a while are some of the least esteemed things in people's mind. And I think one of the least esteemed ministries in the church is for us to see the importance of reaching little kids as parents and as a church because reaching children is very important if you're going to have the blessing of God in your personal life but also as a church it's important that you see that children are 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 critical to the future of what you're going to do and I'm going to make it personal in island church you have to make a place for the little kids 
that parents will be coming. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Now, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to find this in the Bible, okay? And honey, would you get that, that little cylinder out of my briefcase? I forgot to get it. Deuteronomy 6, 4. And uh, we are not Jews, but we are the church, right? But Jews wrote the Bible. And the Old Testament did not pass away when Jesus came. The Old Testament is full of truth and principles that as New Testament believers, we can apply to our life. And what I'm about to read to you is to a Jew, the most important passages of Scripture that they live by every day. Practicing Jews today get up in the morning and recite, first thing in the morning, they recite this passage of Scripture we're about to read tonight. Early in the morning, when they go to bed at night, they, want, they, they pray this, this scripture again. And the, if they die in the night, they want this to be the last thing that passed through their lips. This is critical to the life of a Jew that is serving God. It's called the Shema. And it's very, very important to them, but it speaks to us as believers in Jesus Christ. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'll stop right there for just a minute. This is defining the first priority in your life. And that is for you, for the Jews, but also for us as Christians. We are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Now, we talked about that this morning. That's talking about the threefold being. That's talking about your spirit, your, your mind. You need to think about God in your life more than just Sunday. But you need to have God in your thoughts. And it's also uh, uh, putting him, uh, you have him in your spirit. It's also uh, serving God with your body. It's talking about your entire being loving and serving Jesus. So let me make a statement. God doesn't want a lot from you. He just wants everything. (laughs) See, here's the deal. The more God you have in you, the more blessed you're going to be in life. So we're to love him with all of our heart, soul, and our strength. And then the next thing, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. That means that after you, or when you're loving God, then you get into his word. And you don't just read his word, but you apply his word to your life. In other words, we live by what the word of God says. We, uh, it doesn't make any sense, but we are to live by the principles of God's financial plan, which is tithing and giving offerings and obeying him. It's one thing to know about that. It's another thing to do it. And see, tithing is the thing that keeps you uh, dependent upon God for your financial blessing. I've been a tither for a long time. And very seldom have I written a tithe check when I, you know, and sometimes we pay our tithes. We used to get paid. Our paycheck came every two weeks when I was on salary at a church. And that's a little different. We're, we're still on salary. But, you know, you write a, uh, now we're on a monthly salary, so we give our tithe monthly. And you write out a pretty fair-sized check. You know, I mean, no matter who you are, you think, "Eh, you know, I could really do something with this money. But what's God doing? He's proving you over and over and over that you really do love him. See, are we going to to live by the word of God? What the Bible says, when sickness and disease comes against your your body, what are you going to do? You going to take medicine? Well, that's okay. But are you going to trust God? And you need to trust God in the little things when, when sickness comes against you. Because someday you may have to believe him over a big thing that comes against you. So see, we need to apply the word of God to our life, right? So we love God with all of our heart, and then we get into his word and begin to apply it to our life. That's another reason you need to come to church, to hear the word of God, the revelation of God on an ongoing basis, right? You need that 
often in your life. And then look at the next thing God tells us to do. Verse 7. This is interesting. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. So you love God. You apply His Word. But then the next thing you do is put it in your kids. Teach them diligently. The word diligently here means to have steady, earnest, energetic effort. It's not a passive thing. It's not something that you do uh, when you have time. And I got to watch two of my favorite TV series. But, you know, when I, maybe in a, in a couple of weeks I'll talk to my kids about Jesus. No! It's an ongoing thing that you do, uh, and you make an effort to do this diligently. And then the Bible tells you how to do it. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. This is talking about integrating the things of God into your life, on a family on an ongoing basis. You know, when my kids were little, it was really easy when I, I, I drove them to school to get them to praise God. We'd put a song on, and we'd sing, and they'd just lift their hands. i say, okay, kids, come on, let's praise the Lord. Lift your hands up. Let's worship God. But then as they got a little older, it got a little more difficult. And when they hit the teenage years, come on, guys, let's worship God this morning. I'm dad. I'm driving there in the back. And, they're, uh, and I said, come on, let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's make a confession. <laughs> it's called teenagers, but it's also called training. You stay with it. You do it. You make it a part of your life, a part of the habits that you go through. Hallelujah. Uh, it says that you shall, uh, uh, I'll, I'll keep on reading. You talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. That's one of the things Trudy's working that principle with those bracelets. You look at that bracelet, you remember a promise that you're believing God for. Put it on you, on your body. And then look at this one. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I've got this little cylinder. Trudy and I have been blessed to go to Israel twice. And, uh, and I learned, maybe you can see this. This is a little, oh, I don't know, four or five inch long cylinder. And this is called a mezuzah. Mezuzah. And when you go to Israel, you find these. It's a little cylinder. And you can pull, pull the end off. And the Jews would take this portion of Scripture. In fact, they do this now. And they write it down. And then they roll it up as a scroll, and they put it in the mezuzah. And in, in Israel, have you seen those? You find these all over the country, don't you? In the hotels, in restaurants, they're on, at the right corner of the doors as you walk in. Uh, they're in the Knesset, the Jewish government buildings. And when people are practicing Jews and they love God, not everybody does, but some do, they kiss their hand and touch the mezuzah as a, an act to fulfill the Scripture. So this is a big deal to them. And so what do we do? Let's, let's talk about it again. We love God. We put the Word of God in us, and then we put it in our kids, and look what will happen. See, whenever you obey God, things always happen. Everybody say happen. There's always blessing to obedience. There is blessing when you obey God. This is the way this deal works. You don't earn it. But it's just you're obedient to God because obedience uh, is a sacrifice, but it always brings blessing to your life. Now, I want you to look at the blessing God wants to give you. So it shall be when the Lord your, your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers. This is talking about the promised land. Now, listen, you probably heard this before, but the promised land is not when we get to heaven. Because the children of Israel, they were headed for the promised land. But the promised land was Israel on the earth. And we know it's not heaven because there were, there were giants on the, in the promised land. And there were battles to fight. Listen, when you get to heaven, there will be no more giants and no more trouble. You're going to be cruising 
Remember I preached it this morning, eating cheeseburgers and haagen It's going to be awesome. By the way, we had too much lunch today. It was really good. But, uh, and then we, we're, we, we drove around the beach this afternoon, and Trudy made me stop at Ben and Jerry's. And I didn't want to do it, but she made me eat ice cream. And where's the promised land in Galveston? Anyway, uh, <laughs> but it says, uh, there's a land of promise God wants you to have. God wants us to fulfill. I was blessed to see your land this afternoon. My goodness, what an awesome piece of ground God's given you. Isn't that tremendous? Right in the heart of a wonderful place, and you're right off, you're right over by the, what was it, all the government buildings, and wow, that's, that, 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 that's, that's like a show place for this church for what you're called to do. Praise God. God wants to bless you. Let's read about it. It says he wants to uh, bring you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, Galveston, which you didn't build. How many, anybody in here build Galveston? No. But God wants to give you the city, spiritually speaking. You know, God wants you to touch people in this city. There are people in Galveston tonight that need Jesus desperately. Sometimes they don't act like it. They don't look like it. We lose, we lose the sight of that. But there are people that need Jesus, and you are the answer to their lives. Jesus in you. You understand? This church, but you as individuals. And God wants to give you uh, large and beautiful cities. Now look at this. And the houses full of good things, which you didn't fill. Whoa. These are houses and, and, and hewn out wells, which you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive trees, which you didn't plant. And then when you, when you have eaten and you are full, that's talking about a blessed life. But it's tied to Jesus loving him with your heart, serving God, and then putting this in your kids. You know, this has been a big part of my life. Uh, I was on the Gospel Bill show. It was a children's ministry. A lot of people didn't think that that was that big a deal. Because we dressed up like cowboys. We were different than most preachers. Instead of us wearing a suit back in those days, we wore leather chaps. And I had a gun on. And I wore a hat that turned up. And we did all those things not just because we're goofy people, although we may have been a little bit. But we did it because we wanted to get into the world of a child. And I've had people say dumb things to me about that. One time I was at a preacher's meeting and there was an older uh, lady that we had known in a church. Long story. But... Uh, she came up to me and said, Kenny, what are you doing now in ministry? And I said, well, and I was excited about it. I said, I'm on a kid's TV show, and, you know, I'm writing kids' songs, and, and I do these music videos for little kids, and, and we teach them the Word of God, and, and we're reaching out with this thing. And I, I was telling her all about this. You know what that lady did? She, when I got done, she looked at me and said, when are you going to get into the real ministry? I want to slap her. How many know you can't slap people? See, people misunderstand. Remember, hidden wisdom. Some of the greatest things God does are hidden, but they will bring blessing into your life. Now, Trudy and I moved to Oklahoma City about a year ago, and we moved from a 4,200-square-feet house to a little apartment because we wanted to learn the city. Put all of our stuff in, in storage, and uh, it's kind of crazy, you know, to go to a little apartment under 1,000 square feet, and we're just kind of running into each other for a while, you know, and and uh, but but we bided our time and we believed God and we were going to build a house, and then we were kind of had plans. I was even talking to a builder, but then we were praying about it. And Trudy one day reads this scripture. It says that God will give you houses that you didn't build, and she said, "You know what? I don't believe we're supposed to build." 
So about a week later, we, we were looking at houses with the realtor. And we looked at a couple, and we really didn't like them. And then we couldn't find much that we were liking. And, and then we walked into a house, a third house of the day. And we walked in, and oh, my goodness, this house was different. And we found out it was a repossessed home. It was a Fannie Mae home. And they were working on it. And they were in the middle of, 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 of painting the cabinets and had beautiful wood floors. But there's a big place here where a, something's leaked on it, so the floor's all puffed up. But we learned that they were going to re fix that. And, uh, and then I walked out, and there's a, there's a creek behind this house. Now, this is Oklahoma City. This is not Galveston. There's not much water in Oklahoma City. There's a beautiful creek in this backyard. And the closet was, like, bigger than the apartment we were in right now. <laughs> and it's right off the laundry room, which my wife, is, Trudy's always wanted that because we travel a lot, and she can just go from the laundry room into this closet. And this closet is so big, we can leave our suitcases out. And, and my wife has a wardrobe like a queen, you know, and it's all in there. But what I'm, what I'm telling you is we got a deal on this house. When I signed the, the contract, I made $30,000 on the value of the house. See, God wants to do good things for you and give you things. But one of the things that this is tied to as individuals and as a church is us seeing the importance of little kids. Because if we do that, we're going to have a blessed life. We're going to have a blessed church. You know, I read this survey. I thought it was interesting. The top four reasons people in this generation choose a church. And here they are. Number one is doctrine. I found that interesting. That tells me people are looking for the truth. You know, you see all sorts of doctrines in churches now. All sorts of ideas. But that tells me that people are looking for the truth, even though they may not know what it looks like. They want truth. Don't you want truth? I do. So doctrine's number one, but then the number two reason people choose a church is children's ministry. Number three is music and worship. And number four is the pastor and preaching. So listen, we need, as a church, we need to make a big deal out of reaching these little kids. And here's why. Because the workforce to reach them will come from the body of believers in the church. This is the way God does this. It's normally not a paid position for everybody. And it takes a lot of people to facilitate children's ministry. And, 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 you know, it doesn't pay very good, but I want you to know God wants us to be involved in these little kids' lives. One of the best things I ever did to learn how to preach was to communicate with little kids. Because here's one thing about little kids. You know, adults, you can preach, and even if you're not very good, most of the time they'll just be kind and at least be nice while you're preaching. <laughs> and then they'll walk away and say that was awful. But little kids aren't like that. If you're not good with little kids and you're not getting in, into their world, they'll just ignore you, and then they'll talk, and they may even throw spit wads at you because they're just real. I remember we used to do these great big Kenneth Hagin conventions back in the 80s, and this is one camp meeting. Anybody remember camp meeting with Bro Brother Hagin? They were huge, man. 10,000 people would come. Well, Willie George's ministry, we did the children's ministry. And we would provide children's ministry three times a day. I think it started at 9.30 in the morning until normally about noon. And then we come back about 2 until maybe 5 or 6. And, uh, and then from 7 to 12 o'clock sometimes, depending who's preaching on who's preaching. If Norval Hayes, Hayes was preaching, it's going to be 1 or 2 in the morning. Anybody know Norval Hayes? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, man, it was a lot of work. And we got these kids all these hours, you know, and we have to come up with ideas how to, how to keep their attention. And we would have as many as 1,200 children 
every day. That's 1,200. <laughs> you didn't hear me. Do you understand how many kids that is in one room? And there's always just a little roar going on. And one day we're, we're standing behind the curtain watching them file in. And it's Trudy and another guy that worked with us. And, and this guy's looking out there. And he, or no, Trudy said this. She says, you know, those kids don't know it. But if they all banded together, they could take this thing over. And we wouldn't have, couldn't do anything about it. And this guy looks at her and says, oh, dear God, don't say that. But it was a lot of work. And I, I just remember one day, I had just come out with my first music cassette, cassette tape. Remember cassette tape? And uh, this is probably in 1983. This is how long ago it was. And uh, so uh, I, had, I had done this particular project, and I didn't even know if anybody would buy it. And I bought 500 cassettes, you know, for this meeting, this big meeting. And I sold every one of them. And those kids were singing with those songs, and they were lifting their hands, 1,200 kids just worshiping Jesus. And I remember I'm walking by the front row on a Saturday morning. We've had them five days, and now this is the last day. And there's a little boy sitting down here on the end that had been in every service. And my character's name was Nicodemus, right? So he says, hey, Nick, Nick, come here. Just call me Nick. Come here, come here, come here. I, saw, I go over, and he, saw, I, he says, you know what? I didn't buy that cassette tape you made. I didn't ask him for that. He said, I didn't buy it. I said, okay. He said, do you know why? I said, no. He said, I don't like the way you sing. <laughs> and then he says, how come you in gospel, Bill? Why don't you be something exciting like astronauts? This cowboy thing's getting boring. And he said, you know, in three statements, he just destroyed our whole ministry. And this is little kids, man. But I want you to know kids can learn about Jesus when they're little. So we got to minister to them as parents, but also as the church. And it takes people to do that. And you may say, well, Brother Ken, I would never get involved in children's ministry. Well, maybe you're not supposed to. But here's one thing you should do. You should be nice to little kids. You know, there are single moms that, that are coming to this church now. And those little kids don't have a father image before them. And maybe the only godly father image they have are men that are walking around the church during the week. And you see these little kids, and you don't talk to them. You don't be nice. You need to be nice to little kids. Walk up to them as a man. Love on them. Tell them you love them. Tell, tell them you're glad they're here. But pull a $5 bill out and give it to them. You know, kids, they, they don't have a lot of money, but they know what to do with it when they get it. It's a big deal what I'm talking to you about. So let's talk about some things we as a church, we need to understand about little kids. I'm going to give you four things tonight. Is that okay? Uh, as parents and as a church. Number one of, of the four, we need to lead them to Christ when they're little. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. This is the ministry of Jesus. Lead them to Christ. They can know God. They can experience the touch of God, even when they're little. It says Mark 10, 13. Then they brought little children to him. That's to Jesus. Notice it says little. And they brought. They brought. Everybody say they brought. You know, that's important. Because Jesus didn't just go out into the streets and gather up kids. But they were brought to him. Who brought, who bring, who brought them? Parents, grandparents. The church brings them to Jesus. When you make a place for them, a classroom for them, and you decorate it, and you, you spend time doing your lesson right, you know what you're doing? You're bringing these little kids to Jesus. Why? Because he wants to touch them. That he might touch them. He wants to touch people when they're young. So many great preachers that I know of 
serve God because they had an encounter with him either when they were a little kid or when they were a teenager. Because what happens to you when you're little impacts you for the rest of your life. I remember uh, I was doing a, a summer camp one time for Willie George and we, Dry Gulch, USA. Maybe you've heard of it. Big kids camp, wonderful place. And, uh, and back in the early days of Dry Gulch, it was an open-air tabernacle. And uh, it was August one year. And man, it's hot. You know how hot it is in the summer in Texas and Oklahoma. And I, I got on my whole cowboy rig, and I'm just soaking wet. But I've been ministering to the little, these little kids, and I taught that night on healing. And then when I got done, and we probably had 200 kids there, uh, we, we sang worship song. We closed with a worship song. So I'm singing something like, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, and we start singing this song. And as, as we're singing the song, I, I heard the Spirit of God say a word to me. And it, I, it just came up out of, out of my spirit. He said, asthma. Asthma, just one word. You know, the Bible talks about a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Not a paragraph, sometimes just a word. And that's all I had. So I, I got that word asthma. So I thought, well, God wants to heal some little kid here with asthma tonight. So we got done, and I told him that. I said, now, boys and girls, uh, uh, somebody here tonight, Jesus just said that word asthma to me. So somebody here has asthma, and I want you to know Jesus wants to touch you. If you have asthma, raise your hand up. And about a dozen hands went up in that crowd of kids. Now here's what I love about little kids. Even if they don't have the condition, they'll try to get it to help you out. Because <laughs> I really doubt that many kids had, had asthma, okay? But that's why they're so open. You know, adults are just the opposite. I've had words in church and given it out, and nobody came. And, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm not perfect, and I've missed it before. But, but you know, I would feel pretty strong about it. And then after the service happened more than once, somebody come up and say, Brother Ken, that was me. Can you pray for me now? And I'm a nice preacher, right? And I say, yeah, I, I can. But I, I say, now, listen, you need to obey God. Because a while ago, there was, a, there was an anoint, healing anointing for that. And I can always pray in faith, but, you know, you need to follow the anointing when so anyway, yeah, so, so I said, all right, come up here. So all these kids line up. Trudy and I laid hands on them. And then I sent them back to their seats. And then I seemed to have a further word. And I said, now, boys and girls, if you don't feel any different, you hang on to your healing because it's yours. And I taught on faith for healing. But I said, somebody here, the asthma left you. It's gone. You know it's gone. And as I'm talking, this little blonde over in this part of the room, probably 11 years old or so, starts going like this. I, big eyes. And I said, is that you? I said, well, come up here and, and tell us about it. So she's walking to the front, and I can hear her breathing, like, <gasps> like checking it out and then giggling about it, <laughs> laughing and breathing and laughing all the way up. And so I, got, I gave her the mic, and I said, darling, what, what happened to you? She said, well, I've had asthma. And she'd check it out on the mic. <laughs> and she said, I've had asthma really bad today because it's really dusty and it's really hot. But you know what? When you laid hands on me, it left. And Jesus healed me, and it's, <laughs> it's gone. Jesus healed me. And she throws her hands up and starts praising God. And when she did that, all the little kids in the room start praising God. And Trudy and I look at each other and says, yes, us too, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. See, God wants to touch little kids. God wants to do some amazing things in our day. Did you know that? An anointing for healing, I believe, is coming like never before. But understand, these things can happen in children's church with little kids. Jesus wants to touch them. We need to lead them to Christ when they're little. Number two, we need to teach little kids how to live by faith. 
Teach them the principles of faith to apply to their life. Now, I'll give you an example. When my son was about 12, he came to me. And uh, Josh is a pastor today, but he, he was little. But he was a pretty good athlete growing up. But he was, also, he was always short. And he didn't want to be short. He, you know, he, he played third base in Little League, and he had a really good arm. He played on a championship team. Uh, playing basketball, he could kind of squirt through people because he was little, had a lot of great quickness, uh, but he hated being little. And he was the smallest kid in his class most of the time. So one day he comes to me and he said, Dad, I was reading this scripture. It said, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. I said, yeah. He said, does that mean Jesus grew tall? I said, well, yeah. I mean, he grew up. He said, Dad, could I believe God to grow, up, grow tall? And, uh, and then he says, could, Dad, could I believe God to grow to be six feet tall? And I said, let me think about that. Because, you know, you need to be careful what you just throw out there. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, I, so I looked that scripture up, and, and it does mean Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, height. Man, think about it. Jesus came through the growing stages just like we did. He understands everything we go through. Uh, and then another scripture came to me, and it's this. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes, right? Man, Jesus just took the lid off anything you can believe for. But that's the kicker. Can you believe for it? So I came back to Josh, and I said, okay, son, I will agree in prayer with you. But understand this. I'm not going to do this for you. You're going to have to do this yourself. And so I instructed him. I said, you, you should write this scripture down on a, on a card, put it in your bathroom. Uh, when you get up in the morning, quote that scripture. Because believing means you, you, you work this in your life. During the day, you need to thank God. Say, thank you, Father, that I'm going to grow to be six feet tall. So he said, okay, Dad, I'm going to do it. So he begins to do it. And I, I went in his bathroom. There's a scripture. And every once in a while, I'd see him quote that scripture and praise God for, for his growth. And so a week passes and a month passes and two months and three, and nothing's changing. But sometime in the summer of his ninth grade year, through the summer until the next year when, he's, when he was, what would he have been, 14 or 15 this next year, the boy grew 12 inches, 9 inches, I'm sorry, in 12 months. 9 inches in 12 months. He's 6 feet 1 today, and I'm not. <laughs> I mean, well, what I'm saying is he didn't get it from his mom and I. In fact, we told, he told uh, our chiropractor that. And the chiropractor, you know, they can do x-rays and check your, your plates. And the chiropractor told us he went to our church, but he said, I didn't want to tell him, but that growth was not in his growth, in his, uh, uh, his x-ray plates. And so God did that. In fact, if you don't believe that, go tell him. He'll get in your face. <laughs> See, we can teach our kids how to live by faith and apply the things of God. And then number, number three, we need to monitor and observe them more than you think you should. I'll just make a statement right now. If I had it to do over again, I would be even more involved. And I was pretty involved in my kids' lives. And watching over them, knowing what's going on in their lives. And especially when they get to be a little older and they're teenagers, it's really easy to, to get a little more disconnected with them. Because, you know, as a teenager, they act like they don't want you to be involved in their life anymore. And they kind of push you away. And some of that's natural. Because there's coming a time they're going to be leaving home. And if they didn't do that, you know, it's just a natural thing. But, but you have to work. 
it's interesting because they're going through so many emotions and growth things are going on in their body. They're dealing with all these changes and hormones. And understand this about Christian kids. There's not like Christian hormones and secular hormones. They're just hormones. And they come at you hard when you're young, man. And your kids need help with those things. And they act like you're not cool anymore. And you can get your feelings hurt. But really what they're doing on the inside is they're crying out, please don't let go of me because I don't know what's going on. And you have to monitor them. And you have to understand the dangers that are out there for our kids today. Now, when, I, when my kids were, were coming up, my daughter is 41 today. My son is 37. And the Internet was just coming in when Josh was a teenager. And I didn't see the dangers of the Internet. I didn't know anything about it. In fact, I didn't get a com my first computer until, oh, probably the late 90s. And so I didn't know what was going on. And we have to understand, in our time, you need to check on your kids and what's going on in their lives. And as a parent, you have responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. To know what's going on on their devices. If I had teenagers, I would confiscate their phone at night. I would check their history. I would know what's going on on their computer. I would go in their room and snoop around. I would look under the mattresses. Don't take their word for anything, Brother Ken. You're being suspicious. No, I'm being wise because I know the dangers out there. I know more than I used to. And understand, this is your house. You have the right to do this. Now, do it respectfully, and it's always in love. But, you know, when my kids were little, sometimes they'd sass their mama. And I've set them both down when they were pretty young. And said, you're not going to do this in our house. This is our house. There's coming a day you won't be here anymore. You're going to be leaving, and Mom and I will still be here. And you're going to respect the way we do things. And if you, you can't, just can't do that, well, there's the door right there. And that's a little tough for a five-year-old, but you got to be strong. <laughs> that was tongue-in-cheek. You understand? You know, uh... Today, on my devices, my iPad, my phone, uh, Trudy has responsibility, or uh, responsibility, she has permission to check me out anytime she wants. And she does. She checks on my history. I don't erase anything. Because if I erase something, then she's going to wonder what's going on. And I'm an open book. And you know what that does? Even at my age, and I've been married for 46 years, it keeps me, see, I still have flesh. You understand? Just because I'm a man of God and I serve God, that doesn't mean my flesh is like different than yours. And we all, we all, it's just flesh, and it wants to do the wrong thing, and it wants to go to Ben and Jerry's way too much, and it wants to eat all that good food at Landry's that I ate today, and now i got to repent. I can't eat anything, anything the rest of the day, see, because this is your flesh, right? And you need to check up on your kids. When my, teen, when my daughter was a teenager, we were blessed to get her a car when she was 16, but I understood she's this cute little blonde that looks like her mama. And I'm just, just not going to give her that car, car, carte blanche to do anything she wants to with. I want to know about it. And, you know, even then. So we had restrictions. Brooke, where are you going to go in your car? Who's going to go with you? Who are you going to meet? What are you going to do? And, and, and she would tell us. We wanted to know. What time are you going to, you know, get there? What time will you be home? But from time to time, we would go snoop around, like she, say she's going to a movie. We would drive to the movie theater. We did this more than once. Drove around, found her car, and put a sticky note on it that said, So glad you're doing what you told us. We love you, Mom and Dad. 
So when she comes out to the car, she's going to see the snow and go, oh, mom and dad were here. Mom and dad? Mom and dad checked up on me. Man, mom and dad know, know things. Mom and dad are like the Holy Ghost. They're omnipresent. They're everywhere. Need to check up on them. I, I can't say this enough. Look in Proverbs 19, 18. They won't always like it. They won't always like it. But look at what it says here. Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare him for his crying. In other words, you put some restrictions in your life. And when they holler and cry about it, don't let that get you, don't let that move you. And once again, I'm not talking about being mean. You do all we do all this in love, but it's worth it. And once again, I would say if I had it to do over again, I would check out my kids more. So many dangers in this world today. So that's number number three. Monitor and observe. And we're going to close with this. Never give up on them. No matter what happens, no matter where you are today, and I know I start preaching this and I can feel regrets. And people think, well, I didn't do that. And, you know, my kids are away from God. Or I also hear I did do that. And I did try my best. And my kids are still away from God. But you know what? It's never over until it's over. We have promises in the Word of God that you can pray. And your prayers, you have to understand how powerful your faith for your family is. It's very, very powerful. In fact, look in Acts 16, 31. Now, this is Paul and Silas, and they've been in prison. Remember the story, and the earthquake came. They praised God, and a great move of God, earthquake, and all the prisoners are, are set free. And this Philippian jailer is about to fall on his sword and kill himself. But Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Because this guy, he's in trouble with the, with the, you know, with the, uh, with the Romans and, and his, his overseers. And, uh, and then Paul makes this beautiful statement, Acts 16, 31. He says, here's what you need to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Isn't that good news? No matter where you are, if you're a Philippian jailer, no matter where you are, if you believe on the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, you know what that means? Not just Jesus Christ, but that means you make him your Lord. And that comes back to what I talk about, loving the Lord. He's your Lord. It's a difference in even Savior and Lord. Lord means you submit to him, and you do it his way, and you're willing to do that. You'll be saved. And then I love that he added this, and your house. That's talking about your family. Paul was saying, you can be saved. You don't have to die. But not only that, but your whole family can. Why? Because God, there's some deal about this family, this blood thing that God honors. God is a God of blood. You know, the, I said it this morning, but the Bible is a story of families and, and passed down faith. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this is, we step back and look at it. But now we're in a link that we're going to be passing this down. And it's so important. Can I say it again? It's so very important for, for the future of your life and the church and the blessing of God on you to see the importance of, of your children. And then believe in God wherever you are tonight. You can start tonight believing God over your house. And your prayers never die. And they have so much more power than you think sometimes. Because you can't see what's happening behind the scenes. I have a friend named Willie George that I've known a long time. And back in the 70s, he just moved to Tulsa. And he had been out preaching in Missouri by himself. And he's driving back one afternoon after preaching on a Sunday morning. And he's coming uh, through uh, some different towns in Missouri. And he passed through Carthage, Missouri. And that's where his great-grandmother had lived. 
and raised her family. His great-grandmother's in heaven now. She's gone. And as he's driving through, he said, I'm, I'm, I was talking to Jesus, and he said, I started picking up in the Spirit on some words. And he said, I heard my great-grandmother praying, Lord, I pray that all my family might be saved. Lord, I pray that all my family might be saved. Do you know your prayers live on even after you've prayed them? The Bible talks about how prayers you've prayed and you may even have forgotten about. God knows them all and puts them in a bottle. And he saves them and he stores them up. And he heard his great-grandmother, who's in heaven now, heard her words still active. And he said, I knew I still had one of her sons lived in this town, his great-uncle, I guess. And he said, I thought, I haven't seen this man since I was a little kid, but I'm going to go look him up. So he goes to a phone booth. Remember phone booths? Before cell phones. And he looks up, he gets a phone book. And he looks up his address and he finds it, goes to the house and he knocks on the door. And nobody came to the door. And he listens, can't hear any activity. So he thought, well, I go around the back. And he goes to the back, knocks on the door. Nobody comes. He's about to give up. He's headed out. Thought nobody's here. But then he thought this. He thought, no, wait a minute. I believe God sent me here. I believe I picked up on something from the Lord. So he goes back and knocks again. And he heard some shuffling. And a little old lady comes to the door, and she looks at him. She doesn't recognize him, and he says through the screen door, Hey, I'm Willie. I'm your, your great nephew. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, come on in. So he comes in, and in a moment, his great uncle walks out and sits down, and they begin to visit, talks a little bit, and, you know. And then Willie said, I, I got to tell you why I'm here. He said, I was driving through town, and I was praying, and, and I heard your mama pray. I heard her prayers. And I heard your mama praying, and I heard her saying, Lord, I pray that all my children might be saved. He was the last living one. And Willie said, I want to ask you something. Are you right with God? And as he's talking, he said, tears began to run down that man's cheeks. And he shook his head and said, nope. Willie said, well, I believe I've been sent here by the Lord. Would you like to be? And he prayed with that old man and got him saved that day to fulfill the last one of his great-grandmother's prayers. Roland, would you come worship God? Your prayers are powerful. Your family ties are powerful. You know, uh, I didn't plan on doing this, but go to Malachi chapter 4 as these guys are coming, and you can start playing anytime. This is part of the last great end-time move of God. Malachi, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, right? Go to Malachi 4, last chapter. Go to Malachi 4, 5, last verse, Malachi 5 and 4, 5 and 6. Last two verses of the Old Testament. After this was spoken, there were 400 years of silence until Jesus came. And Jesus was preceded by what is prophesied here, which was John the Baptist, who came with the spirit of Elijah. This is prophetic of Jesus' first coming. But it's also prophetic of his second coming. And I'll show that to you. Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. John the Baptist, Jesus said, came in the spirit of Elijah. And Jesus said he had to come. Why? He prepared people to receive Jesus, right? And this is talking about, look at this. It says before the coming of the great, I'm reading King James, but the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He's talking about the two comings of Jesus. First time he came was great, full of grace, full of mercy. How many are so glad he came?
but he's coming back. This time he won't come as the Lamb of God. This time he's coming back as the King. And there will be judgment. And it will be rough if you don't know him. And nations and tribes and people will be judged. And it will be dreadful. And it will be preceded, preceded by the spirit of Elijah the prophet. And look what Elijah will be preaching. This is not all of it, but this is a big part of it. Verse 6, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers. See, it's like this. It's talking about a great family connection. It's talking about fathers and men. We need men today that will rise up. And see the importance of the family. And we need men in church you know what? I think one of the reasons God used Gospel Bill was we were men declaring this. We were cowboys, and we got the respect of little boys and little girls. But kid needs, kids need men that will do this. The heart of the fathers to the children, and then the children. See, this great end-time move, a big part of it, will be family reconciliation. Do you believe that? God wants to do some great things. So what I'm telling you tonight is prophetic, not because of me but because it's important to the church in this hour for us to see the importance of our young people, for even us as, as we've gotten older, not to compromise what we know, what we believe, but to open up our heart and receive young people. Something that's going on in our life right now is we, we're elders in my son's church, and we're like, uh, it's a wonderful place. We're like fathers over the church, patriarchs, matriarchs, and the younger generation needs us but we need them too. And there's going to be a great connection of every age group. You know, it talks about in the book of Acts that the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came on sons and daughters and fathers and old men and young men. Generational. It will be generational in this time. This church is called to do a great work. And to do it, we must see the importance of our young people. So here's how we're going to close. Thank you for joining us. We trust you enjoyed the message today. For services and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.